Would you please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6? And we're going to be uh, wrapping up our, our, uh, our study of the Lord's Prayer and looking at verse 13. And we notice that the, the prayer has a focus. You know, clearly there's a, um, a theme to each of these petitions. If you're in the, the thou petitions, the first three, we see the, the holiness of God, see the kingdom of God. Um, and we see the will of God, right? Our, our submitting to that. And we come to the we petitions, the ones that pertain to us, and we have this um, idea of, of um, provision would be probably the word. Give us this day our daily bread, and then going on from there, forgiveness, right? Our sins, our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And this morning we're going to be focusing on the word temptation. You know, at the end of the 16th century, after the Protestant Reformation in, in Europe and the wars that continued to follow after that, there was a, a poem written by an anonymous, an anonymous Christian talking about this very word temptation, and this is the poem. It said, In all the strife of mortal life, our feet shall stand securely. Temptation's hour shall lose its power, for thou shalt guard us surely. O God, renew with heavenly dew our body, soul, and spirit until we stand at thy right hand through Jesus' saving merit. I kind of like that poem. Um, it really speaks to the idea of, of, of dealing with, honestly, of temptation and, and how really the Lord is, in this prayer, how he's going to encourage us in which to pray and to understand it rightly. And so we come to this, this last petition focusing on temptation, and we learn from what uh, Jesus is saying for us, or to us, rather. And he says in verse 13, And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Which is the petition, and then it closes with this doxology that says, For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let me offer a brief prayer as we begin this. Lord, we do thank you for this time. As we all often say, we don't take it for granted. We are here, and I ask that you would open our eyes to the truth of your word and our ears, Lord, to hear, uh, not just to know this, but to see it in application of our lives. I pray you would speak to us through your word. You allow me to get out of the way. And I pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. So we've kind of, we're wrapping up, kind of, we are wrapping up this prayer, right? And Jesus has unfolded some very, I believe, some very wonderful truths as what Jesus always does. Um, that's a rhetorical statement. We know that to be true, what Jesus says, because he is brilliant. And he comes to this. And I don't know if it's crossed your mind to think about these petitions. Here are six things that Jesus thinks that we should be focusing on. These petitions should float through our prayer life. Right? If you go through the, the, the prayer, whether you, you step into the introduction that Jesus shares, how not to be, don't be it like the heathen or the hypocrite, but in this way pray, right? And he says, and come, and, and our focus out of the gate is God's holiness, that we are to make God's name holy. Right? And that attaching to that is, is to live a life of holiness. This is what the Lord is impressing upon us. Jesus is talking to, if you read in, in chapter 5, he's addressing his disciples and, and in essence there's other people standing around so he's communicating exactly how we should go the wonderful question is posed to jesus by his disciples in luke 
Uh, chapter 6, teach us to pray, right? As, as John taught his disciples, show us, which is a great question. I'm so thankful they asked him of that. And so he goes into an expanded answer here in, in uh, Matthew's account. So we see that holiness is important. Um, and to make his name holy, we also see the idea of kingdom, right? The expansion God desires that, that others would come to know him. Right? We receive, we are a benefit of being part of the kingdom. Somebody has come and shared the truth with us at one point in our lives, and the Spirit has opened us, our eyes to the truth, and we have believed, and we have become part of the kingdom. Well, God desires that that would go further, and that should be part of our prayer, to see His, his kingdom expanded. And then He comes to this, this, the, the last of the first three, which is the thou petitions. Right? He comes to the idea of will. Right? And that might be a tough one for us. Right? So submitting our wills and surrendering to God, those things seem to be a struggle. Jesus thinks it's pretty important. Right? We see it right here in, in the prayer. Let us surrender to his will. We desire that it would be played out here on earth as it's perfect in heaven. We want to see it happen not only in, in, in the church, but in our lives. It takes the work of the Spirit right, to operate in us. And then he goes from these switches from what we call the thou petitions, and he goes into... These three things, and I don't know if it's crossed your mind, as I said earlier, that of all the things the Lord would encourage us to be praying on, I think he hits at the, the dearest and, and the, the things that resonate at the depths of us, right? The idea of provision, right? Lord, meet our needs. We desire daily bread, right? And that encompasses all our needs. And we see the work of the Trinity kind of unfolding in this, is that you know, God is, is the creator. He is the God the Father, the creator of all things, and by him we are sustained. And, and the point there is that Jesus' bread doesn't run out, right? Whether it's a slice on the table or a loaf in the cupboard, right? We know that he is supplies. He's the one who meets our needs. And we are to come to him with all our needs, right? And to the secret place, he knows our needs. We come in obedience, so you see the idea of, of, of the daily bread. And last week we talked about forgiveness, right? Jesus thinks it's very important that we should forgive. You know, it's, it's, it's amazing how we might hold on to things. Maybe you've done this, maybe you haven't. Or we'll hold on to something because it's the idea of it was done to me. And yet we look at the cross and we hear the voice from the cross when Jesus says, forgive them. They know not what they do, right? Wow, such wonderful forgiveness I have received. I have no right to hold on to it. Sometimes we try, right? We'll do our best to hold on to that because it was against me. And yet Jesus saying, it's, it's good, Tyson, right? Let those things down. It's good. Look at the cross and see that. So hopefully that is resonating within us. And then he comes to the idea of temptation. Um, and going back, excuse me, going back to forgiveness, we see really the second person of the Trinity, right? Yeah, the cross, the forgiveness we receive from Jesus, and then stepping into temptation, our daily walk, we rely upon the need of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus has kind of saturated the Trinity throughout these, these petitions for us. But we come to this idea, and this leads kind of to my first point as we look at temptation. And it's something I just want to, to, to all of us to acknowledge is it's the struggle, right? The struggle of temptation is something that we all deal with, something we all have to walk through. And as we come into this request, we see that Jesus is saying we should pray, Lord, do not lead us into temptation, but rather deliver us. And this may sound like a, a kind of a, a strange request. Um, if God is benevolent and he's gracious, why would God lead us into temptation? Why are we praying and asking God, don't do that to us? Have you ever thought of that? Here we are coming to this thing. Shouldn't we be able to take this for granted? 
right? I'm going to assume that God is good. I'm going to assume that he's, he's faithful to his word. He tells me this, and he doesn't change. So why would he lead me into temptations? It sounds like an odd request. It makes more sense if we were to say, Lord, keep us out of temptation, right? And the fact that we're here, Jesus is saying, lead us not into so it might become difficult for us to understand this, but really to grasp this, we have to look at what the Bible talks about and the idea of temptation. Here comes this word that can be defined uh, in one of two ways, right? We see it's either something from God, is what we'll see, and I'll, I'll unfold that here in a moment, or it's something from the evil one, something from Satan. And to help us better understand that, you know, to look at temptation, whether it's, it's a direct temptation from, from, or to do evil, whether it's from our own sinful desires or from the evil one, or it's a trial or something the Lord is, is refining in us. Um, I have some passages here in James I just want to walk through how James talks about this. So in James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, we see this verse, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. I don't know if anyone concluded that that's good, right? Count it all joy. James, what's wrong with you, right? Knowing that your testing of your faith produces patience. Now, it's interesting here, the word, the same Greek word is used for trials in James chapter 1 as is used for temptation. In my version of, of Matthew, it's the same Greek word, and we have two under the power of the Holy Spirit communicating and writing this. And in essence, the context bears this out. Jesus is not talking about the same things James is talking about. Which is good, because here we go, here's another question, right? Um, if this is beneficial, if it's good, James, right, then why are we praying not to be led into them? It's the same word. Well, it becomes obvious, right, that James is not referring to the kind of test that, that comes, right, to the believer from God. This might be an example, maybe you think of scriptures of examples where Abraham, when he was asked to sacrifice his son, there was a refinement and a testing, right? Maybe we're walking through this morning, maybe you're feeling the persecution. Maybe you're walking in an, in an odd environment, in a workplace, or trying to stand for truth. Maybe you're dealing with a sickness. Maybe you're struggling through dis discouragement, discouragement, excuse me. Or maybe you're, you're struggling with family and friends. Maybe there's things the Lord is refining, right? He's shaping us. And this is what James is talking about. God uses these experiences in our life to refine us, right? We we tend to trust the Lord. When we have nothing else to lean upon, we lean upon Him, and the Lord allows us to walk through difficult things that we might cry out. So these things become something of a rejoice. And this is what James is talking about. Count it all joy, right? The Lord disciplines those whom He loves. He is refining you. And everyone said, yes, amen, right? In the middle of it, that's difficult, but yes, this is what James is saying. God is at work. We take such great encouragement from that. But as James goes on, he speaks of another kind of temptation down in James uh, chapter 1, verse 13. He says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. This is the temptation to sin. We feel it sometimes in our hearts, and, and we have that around us. It is the real struggle. Right? Jesus is coming and he's wrapping up the Lord's Prayer and he says, look, this is a reality. You are walking in these things. Some of you go, yes, I'm walking in them this morning, Pastor, and here it is, this temptation. But James goes on and says in verse, the following verse of chapter 1, uh, verse 14, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires 
and enticed. This type of temptation we do not rejoice in. These are the difficulties. Our sinful natures, right? And we're urged to triumph over them. We're urged to grow and to develop. We're urged to, to, to submit, right? Once again, come back to the will of God. Trust in who He is. And then finally, James goes on talking about this, this, this um, idea of temptation and the one that comes from the evil one. And he says in James chapter 4, verse 7, probably a verse familiar to many of us, he says, Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. Submit to God. So the temptation referred to in the Lord's Prayer is not the temptation that comes from God and wants to strengthen us. And that's why that may sound a little bit odd. Lord, why am I praying for this? Would, would you not lead me into those things? He's talking about our own sinful desire. The temptation that Jesus is talking about is our own sinful desires, our own sinful lust that will lead us away. And also the, the, the influence, right, of, of the evil one. Some translations of the Bible use just evil, encompassing that idea, right? Your own sin leads us away from the truth. Definitely the evil one leads us away from the truth. You know, you and I, and this, this struggle is, is a reality. We live in this world, right? Satan, we call it Satan's territory. It doesn't take long to listen to the news, to see what's going on in our society, to hear... Um, lack of, of love and respect and, and all these kind of things, and we can make quite of a long list. We realize this world is, is decaying. I don't think I have to press that too far for all of you to agree. The evil one is at work. And this is why Peter says, be sober, be vigilant, vigilant, excuse me, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So we come to this, and we have to kind of wrestle with this idea, Jesus, what, are, what exactly are we praying for? Because I think our problem is, is that we don't take some of these things seriously. Temptations. I love this quote from Charles Spurgeon. He says, Idle Christians are not tempted of the devil so much as they tempt the devil to tempt them. Sometimes we fail to realize how powerful the struggle really is. How easy it is for self-righteousness to creep in. The hard difficulty to forgive. Pastor, you don't understand, they did it against me. The self-righteousness that creeps in so quickly. Our hearts are led away. And this is why Jesus says, but, right, deliver us. That's why James says, submit to God. So temptation is very powerful. And it's like this ocean Right? It's like a current. I remember you've been caught in a current. It just takes you away. And, and the next thing you know, it's, 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 under, uh, it's the one in control. Right? You've lost control and you have no power over it. And it's kind of gone. And the next thing you know, you've, you've justified some things you wouldn't normally do. And you're in a situation where now you feel so guilty. I wouldn't, I wouldn't dare come back to church. And, and it goes on and goes on. And it just escalates and it grows. And this is why uh, the Lord wants us to deal squarely with these things. Don't let it fester. Don't let it grow. We don't have time for that. There is a kingdom in which he desires that we would be laboring. We can't do that if we're so concerned and broken, not to minimize, not to minimize by no means the reality of the hurt, but to find forgiveness and grace in the cross. You know, there was a story of a, a father and a son, and the father had told his son, I don't want you swimming in this canal. 
And the son responded and said, yes, sir, I'll go swimming. A little time goes by, the, the son comes walking back and he's carrying his bathing suit, which is now wet, and the father asked him, where have you been? And the son responds, I've been swimming in the canal. The father kind of perplexed like this and says, didn't I tell you not to swim in the canal? To which the boy says, yes, sir. Leaves the father a little bit more perplexed. Well, then why did you swim in the canal? Well, Daddy, he explained, I had my bathing suit with me and I couldn't resist the temptation. So the father responds and says, why did you take your bathing suit with you? And the boy said, so I'd be prepared to swim in case I was tempted. <laughs> it's like that in life sometimes, right? Temptation is there. We, we can acknowledge it and see it for what it is, but sometimes we say, you know what, I've got that, right? Ah, that's all right. It's not that big of a problem, and that's how it works. Next thing you know, there's, there's other things. The next thing you know, there's other things. The next thing you know, there's, there's other things. Um, Chuck Swindoll would share the story about a lady who was on a raft out in the ocean, right, of all places. And she thinks, I've got this. It's just a raft. I'm out in the ocean. Next thing she knows, she's a mile out. She says, this is kind of far to be out in the ocean on a raft. And she starts screaming for help. No one can hear her. She's a mile out. By the time the Coast Guard got to her, she was already five miles away from where she set in. He goes on to say, and temptation is like that, right? So why is it so important that Jesus comes to this? There's only three wee petitions. Why is he talking about temptation? It so easily takes us out of fellowship. It so easily leads us astray. This is why he says, but Lord, deliver us. So we have to square, right? We have to be honest with ourselves and what temptation is. Acknowledge it for what it is. See it for what it is. All right, and respond accordingly. And this is where I believe the application is in this prayer. Right? One, don't be fooled by, by the seriousness or the power of temptation, but how do we deal with it, Lord? Well, James has already kind of hit on it, right? Submit to God. And this leads to my second point. I believe how you deal with temptation is submit to God's word. He uses the word lead, right? And do not lead us. And active, right? Do not lead us into, into, into temptation. And so, you know, studying this and going, well, how do, we, how do we deal with this? What are some examples of those responding to temptation of Scripture? Maybe in your mind has popped in Jesus. How did Jesus respond to Satan tempting him? Well, we realize that Jesus fasted for 40 days. Don't feel you have to do that. If you feel led, then by all means. And prayer, Right? He fasted and prayed, and Jesus is, is teaching us how to deal with temptation in the context of praying. Keep that in mind, right? He's teaching us to pray. But he also did what? He quoted Scripture. Very important, right? We submit to God's Word. And look at this example, Matthew 4, verses 3 and 4. Satan comes to him and he says, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Here he is quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8. So the devil thinking he's sliding, he can get one past Jesus, which that's a whole nother sermon there in discussion, right? He takes him to a high place, the, the, uh, the pinnacle of the temple, right, in Jerusalem. And he says, cast yourself down because God will bear you up. This way, maybe, Jesus, maybe he was thinking, you know, here's the idea, Jesus. If, if it looks to the people that you come falling down from the sky, people will believe you maybe. I don't know if that's the play here or the ploy. But Jesus, once again, not being, 
mistaken whatsoever. He responds in Matthew 4, 7. He says, it is also written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. This is not satisfying to, to Satan, of course. He has to try one more, right? The final temptation, Satan asks Christ to worship him in exchange for worldly glory. Here's the reply in verse 10 of chapter 4. And then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. So once again, we see Jesus at work quoting Deuteronomy. Right? The response. How do we deal with temptation in our life? How do we come and pray? Not only are we asking God to deliver us, how does God come about and do deliverance for us? He's given us his word. We submit to the authority of his word. So the point is, you know, when Jesus overcame temptation, right, he does it by prayer, ultimately fasting, knowledge of God's word. So if we learn, we pray, in the context of prayer, which Jesus is sharing with us, we should be praying daily for these things. Leaning upon Scripture, we can overcome temptations. You know, our problem, I think, is, is a lot of times we think we got it, right? This element of, I think I can handle it, right? We like to, to play with things that ultimately could destroy us. I wouldn't say it that way. We probably wouldn't think of it that way, but sometimes we kind of operate that way. The Lord has got bigger things He's got to take care of. This is a minor thing. I can, I can navigate this. There's a story of a of a park ranger who was giving a tour, right, in the Yellowstone Park, and he was quite in, in, in robust form. He was operating really well this day. Just the answers were coming about the flowers and the trees, and he was giving this wonderful tour, and he had a, a radio on his, on his side, and, and there was other rangers talking, and he just thought that was throwing his game off a little bit. He switched it off, continued to lead his tour up, walking through the, the, the trail and explaining all the different things, and after a little time had gone by, another ranger had come running up to him, completely out of breath, and asked him, why did you switch your radio off? He said, well, I was in sharing this. We were having a good time. We are talking about all these things. And he said, well, there's been a grizzly bear sighting. He's been tracking you to seek whom he may devour, right? And sometimes like, it's like that for us. We kind of switch off. The Word of God. Maybe we feel that there's too much or not enough, or maybe it won't be good. I don't know what we plug in there, but sometimes we operate. Not always. Sometimes we operate. What does the Word say about this? It's very important that we have this mindset that the Word of God rules, right? I come to this. I open it. It teaches me. I submit to this, and it's very important for us. Jesus, in essence, is saying this very thing in our prayer. When temptation comes, Right? Acknowledge it for where it is. It's a struggle we all face with. We are sinners saved by the wonderful, amazing grace of our Lord and Savior, but we operate in this life. We are still tempted to, to, to go down that wrong path. It doesn't mean we lose our salvation, but we definitely lose fellowship, right? If we hold on to sin, we need to get rid of it and deal with it squarely, and we need to come through prayer and submit to the authority of God's Word. Be challenged by it in love and in grace. Desire to be reformed, right? To come back into fellowship. Those wonderful things that come from it. So we see this challenge, and Jesus is setting it in front of us. We're not dealing with the grizzly bear, hopefully ever, right? But we have a roaring lion who seeks to devour us. He's not playing games, right? He's using all the maneuvers he has. He's manipulating and changing and lying. His desire is to destroy your life. 
And Jesus is saying, be mindful of this, right? Praying. God, I surrender to the authority of your word. This leads into my next point. I submit to God's authority. They, they very tie together very well, but I just want to point out to this, but deliver us is, is what we're praying for. Well, to understand that God can deliver us is to understand that God has the authority, the dominion, the power to do so. So we need to submit that he is the one. And of course, as we study his word, right, we grow in this understanding. We grow that he is the mighty God, that he is omnipotent, he is all-powerful. This is God. And when I come and I honestly deal with this temptation, Lord, I am being tempted in this area. Would you please intercede? Make me mindful of your ability, of your power. Lead me away from this temptation. Deliver me from this evil one that I might live a life. And then you see it within the prayer that I might live a holy life that makes your name holy, that I might be usable for the kingdom, that I might trust your will and be the hands and feet of my Lord and Savior to those I come in contact with. He's not asking for perfection, right? Because we're not. We are in process, right? This is our sanctification. A day will come when we are perfect, we will be in heaven if he comes back for us or he takes us home. But we pray this prayer daily. We trust in the Lord. We submit to his authority. It's as if we would say, Lord, keep us from wandering into paths where we would be tempted by the devil. But if he comes, keep us from his clutches. But we have to have a confidence, right? We have to know the Lord is able. We've got to trust his authority. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, no temptation is overtaking you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. Here's the growth, the, the refinement he's speaking of. But with the temptation will also make you make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Sometimes we allow temptation to have, right? Have its way, have control. God has more power than any temptation. We just need not to switch him off, right, in the process. The story of a, of a boy who was traveling to see his grandmother on an airplane, and he was sitting next to a seminary professor. And the boy had gotten his Sunday school workout, and the seminary professor had noticed, here is a young lad, believes in the Lord, he's doing his homework, a good young lad, and he thought, well, I'll have some fun with him. So he said, uh, son, uh, if you can tell me one thing God can do, I'll give you a shiny apple. So the boy thought about it for a moment, and he said, you know what, mister? If you can tell me one thing God can't do, I'll give you a whole barrel of apples. Isn't that true? Sometimes we get in the middle of, of, of a situation. Sometimes it owns us. Sometimes all we see is the hurt. All we see is the pain. All we see is the regret. Maybe it's the self-righteousness. Like, they did this to me. When we look at these things, that's, that's, that's kind of the lens, right, we look at life through. And it owns us. Controls us. Maybe it brings us to a point where we think, God, you're far away. Maybe you're unable. Lord, you don't understand what, what I'm walking through, right? Maybe we've had those thoughts. If we're honest with ourselves, it doesn't take us long to go, yeah, I've had moments. But then we see why, why it's so important that we trust the Lord at his word. We trust his ability. Why is Jesus making this the last petition in this prayer? I mean, we can talk of, of God's goodness and, and Jesus' desire to see you 
walk, right, in victory, to be a vessel, right, of his love. We'd be marked by his love. This is how the world will know you are my follower. It's hard to love others, and maybe sometimes we can't love ourselves when we're dealing with unforgiveness. It's hard when we've been led away by temptations and these things that are controlling us. It takes an honesty to say, you know what, this struggle is real. I need to trust the Lord at his word, at his ability. And it might be something we pray daily. We pray often. Maybe we pray hourly. Lord, help me. But I know and I trust and I believe he's able. He is able. And this is why when you come to this petition, you come to this last part where there's really this doxology. And it says, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And it's kind of, you know, as we, as we unfold this idea of temptation, just kind of dealing squarely with, with the idea of struggling. And what do we do with it? Well, we come and we say, Lord, lead me by the power of your word. Lord, deliver me by the power of your ability. You are omnipotent. You are almighty. You are God. And I believe and I submit and I trust that you can do this. And when we begin to live here, right, we see the doxology unfold. And my last point simply is this. Theology leads to doxology. Right? Our understanding of God, as you get into his word and you go, this is who he is. This, I know him. We can start saying the same words as Paul tells Timothy, I know in whom I believed. You can have that confidence in the middle of trial, in the middle of struggle, in the middle of hurt. This is, I know him. He's my God. He knows my name. And then I can say, yours is the kingdom and this is the power. Right? We all have a theology. This means our understanding of who God is. And it leads to doxology, which is worship and praise. It's amazing as you look at this prayer, what is Jesus actually showing us, right? Very simply, he's, he's talked about it in the introduction, and he's mentioning it here. Our focus is to be what? Prayer is to be God-centered, concerned for God's glory. It's the contrast, right? To the self-centered of the Pharisee, of the hypocrite. The hypocrite was selfish, right? He had his own self-image, and we see God, what Jesus is, is teaching us, right? The believer is obsessed with God. My prayer is obsessed with His will, His kingdom, His holiness. It's obsessed with trusting Him to, to provide, helping me to forgive, His Spirit to operate in my life that I wouldn't be walked away or led away by temptation, but I would yield to Him. So we see this. For us, it should be God-centered. For His glory, we also see the prayer is to be intelligent, to be thoughtful. We learn to be dependent. We learn to know Him, right? It's not to be mindless like the heathen. We just have this formula. We just, just pray the formula. Use the right words and we can manipulate God somehow like He's a mathematical you know, equation. Just, just plug in the variables, man. And it, you, just, you get the answer at the end. It's mindless. We're just going through the actions. And the point is that God is not impressed by verbiage. Kind of like that word, verbiage, right? He's not impressed by that. We need to come with humble thoughtfulness, daily dependence, not hypocritically, not mathematically, right? Not babblers, but thoughtfully, humbly, trusting. This is who God is. This is how we can end this prayer with doxology and thank Him. And the fundamental difference here that we see throughout this, starting in verse 5 through the Lord's Prayer, is that there is a different idea, a different understanding of who God is. You know, the hypocrites have a completely different image. 
of who God is. It's a false image. If you think about it, it's not even really thinking of the right God at all. If I'm trying to manipulate others to make myself look good, if I'm approaching it with pride and, and selfishness, we have to go, well, I think you're missing the point. That's not even what God desired. I mean, what would you think of God? What kind of God would God be if he was interested in such prayers of selfishness, of mindlessness? Our theology is so important. God is not a commodity where we can leverage him. But oftentimes I think these things creep in and over and against these notions of the hypocrite and, and the heathen, Jesus presents this prayer for the believer that we would come into the secret place because God is omnipresent. I would come with all my requests because God knows me. He's omniscient. And I would trust and his ability and his power. And so if we come through this prayer, we come in an attitude of prayer, and we allow Scripture to fashion our image of God, which is our theology, that shapes it, then we'll never pray this way. We'll never pray in a, in a, a way that is mathematically or mechanically driven. We won't pray with hypocrisy. But we'll come and we'll praise him in the context of life and the brokenness. Sometimes we rejoice with tears. That's true of the believer because we know him. We express our complete dependence upon him. He is a good God. And for us to, to, to close our prayer with thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Now these statements are acknowledgments and my question for you is, do you believe them? Do you believe that all of this is his kingdom? It's for him. Do you believe that he has the power? Do you believe that it's all the glory? Do you believe it? Because when we come, we say, yes, pastor, I believe this. And it should begin to shape our prayers. Shape how we ask. Shape what we request. Sometimes we get hung up on the the, the little kingdoms, if you will. We get hung up on our own power. We get hung up on our own glory. I can't believe they did this to me if I share that story, right? They stole from me. It's not the fact that they stole. It's that they did it to me. Sometimes self-righteousness comes right in. But when we stop and we think about it and we assess it for what it is, we deal squarely with the temptation, deal squarely with forgiveness, right? Seek his provision. Acknowledge God then we come and we realize that his kingdom is certain. His power is sufficient for all situations. And that his glory will prevail. Because this is who he is. When the Lord moves, and as we come through this prayer, and we pray for these things, Jesus is saying, be very mindful. A gracious and benevolent God. Isn't it amazing that Jesus knows exactly Exactly, because I imagine these, these petitions resonate deep in every single one of us. There are moments where I think we're going to go without. Lord, help, Lord, provide. There are moments where I've hung on to unforgiveness. God, move. Help me, bring me back to the cross. Help me see when Jesus says those words. Lord, forgive them. They know not what they do. Let me hear those words as speaking to me. I didn't, I didn't know. Lord, forgive me. I have no right to hold this against my brother or my sister. 
and we come to this temptation, deal with it squarely. There is an adversary. He desires to destroy you. And daily we should come and say, Lord, lead me by the truth of your word. Lead me by your power. Deliver me. It should be echoed in our prayers often. And we close. God, may you receive all the glory, all the praise of ever and ever because you are mighty. You changed lives. You still change lives. And we give you praise for that.